Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so glad to be here. Sundays are such good days. and We look forward to them. We look forward, God, to hearing from Your Word, allowing our souls to be gripped with truth, allowing our hearts and minds to deal with the truth as it points to us, sometimes encouraging us, and sometimes, Lord, uh, calling us out and stepping on our toes and convicting us. Yet all the while, in both ways, God, letting us know that You love us. And that you're dealing with us is for our good. And so, Father, we are greatly, greatly, greatly happy to be here. We want to be here right now. We ask, Father, that your word, as it's opened up, would speak to us. Bless this time, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Uh, while you're turning to Acts 20, if you, did, if you didn't bring a Bible, the pew Bible there in front of you, the black Bible, it'll be page 1026, 1026. We're going to be at Acts chapter 20. While you're turning there, I want to say a few things. I am glad to be back. I've missed the past two Sundays. Uh, and it's not easy to, to be gone two Sundays in a row as a pastor. Really, as a church member, you know, it's hard to miss two Sundays in a row. You feel very much so disconnected. You feel like your soul is starving to hear the preached Word. Well, as the pastor, I, I certainly feel that way. It was a, a great blessing for my family to be able to go on vacation. We had such a good time. Uh, we did go to the beach, and we were able to take the kids swimming and fishing and all that good stuff that you can do on vacation. We had a great time. But just as excited as we were to get there and to enjoy that, we were just as excited to get back to Fairdale. We missed Fairdale, we missed our town, we missed you all, we missed our family, and, and, and it is great to be back. I want to thank you all for, for letting me go, and I want to thank you all for leading the church so well in, in my absence. Uh, certainly all the guys that filled in, Pastor Troy preaching and, and leading, did a great job. Um, but it is good to be back. There's an old saying that says, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and that is absolutely true. I love you guys. And I love Fairdale more now than I did before I went on vacation. And that's a good thing. Okay? It's good to be back. Yesterday, um, uh, we were able to spend some family time together. And we went on a little bit of a hike and up here in the Jefferson Memorial Forest. And we were with the kids and the whole family was together. And we, we loved doing that. And the kids are enjoying it. And... You know, you run into those times where you just feel yourself going, man, I, I love my family. Uh, you have those moments too, I know you do. And um, your emotion comes over you of just, how'd you get to this point in life? Y'all hear me talk a lot, and I find myself saying that all the time. Well, going into vacation on our way to Florida, we had to go through Atlanta. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever done 12 hours and 1,000 miles in the car with five little kids, but it's not real easy. Uh, so we stopped in Atlanta, and in Atlanta, I have an old friend there. Um, we met in college when we were 18 years old, and so we called him and got in touch with him, and we met and had dinner together, and, and that was great. And it got me thinking about my friendship with him and, and where I'd come from. I was raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, out of high school, I went off to college to play basketball. And I went far away to South Georgia, Tifton, Georgia, which is really, really far from Charlotte, North Carolina. 
it was really far away, and I didn't really know anybody, and I was a Christian, didn't, didn't know a single person there. Uh, started playing basketball, and in my first year, I met this guy named James, and that's the friend that we connected with in Atlanta. We met when we were 18. James isn't in the ministry. James uh, is just a normal guy that loves Jesus. He's married, got a couple kids. He's a good guy, and he became my friend in college. And I found out that James was on the leadership staff of the BSU. At the time, it was called the Baptist Student Union, uh, the group of Christians that meet on campus. And so he became my friend, and he impacted my life. And, and as I got to know James, I started thinking, you know what? I want to be a leader for Jesus like you are. I'm a freshman in college. So he said, all right, well, why don't you, why don't you talk to him about being a leader? So I said, okay. And I went. There was a lady that was in charge of everything. And I went and talked to her and said, I want to be a leader. And she said... Well, Josh, I think that'd be great if you want to be a leader here on campus. But I want you to know something. Leaders for Jesus aren't just people that want to. They're people that do the right thing and lead for Jesus in the right way. You're not ready to be a leader here on campus until you're ready to get your life in order, have a commitment to the Word of God, and live like it. Nobody ever talked to me like that in my life before, ever. I was a good kid. I didn't get in much trouble. I had a lot of people in my life that loved me. Adults always encouraged me and told me good things because I was a good kid. Nobody had ever challenged me that my life wasn't fully in accord and reflective of what the Word of God says, and so I wasn't fit to be a leader. We were about to head into summer break. I went home to Charlotte, North Carolina that summer and got my life together, committed to the Word of God. I started reading the Bible a lot. I started wanting to live a life that reflected the Bible. I went back after summer in August, went back to school, looked her up and said, Miss Penny, I did it. I'm ready. She said, okay. She let me start leading a Bible study. When I was 19 years old and starting my second year of college, I began to lead a Bible study on campus. Not that many people came, and I'm sure it was the worst teaching they've ever heard, but I was leading and I was teaching. I remember sitting there in that little room with 20 or 30 people with a Bible like this and just saying, all right, well, now turn to this verse, and now turn to this verse, and now turn to this verse, and just trying to get them to look at the Bible. And I remember very clearly that one of the big signposts in my life, which now, very sadly, was 17, 16 years ago, I'm getting old fast, was, was that moment when I was challenged to get a commitment to the Word of God and by the grace of God, God made me committed to the Word of God. Now I'm 35, and my commitment to the Word of God is only that strong or stronger. And I want to preach today. We're finished with 1 Peter. Troy finished 1 Peter two weeks ago, so we're finished with that. We're in between, in between series, and so we can talk about something different. And I want to talk today about the Bible and your commitment to it. And I want to challenge you in a very similar way that you would see that the measure of faithfulness to God and love for God and devotion to God, that the measure of your true and genuine salvation and going to heaven is do you really believe God's Word? We're going to be at Acts chapter 20. I want to give you four points today. The first is the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. The second is... The whole conversion of sinners. The third is the whole commitment of faith. 
And the fourth is the whole community of believers. The whole counsel of God, the whole conversion of sinners, the whole commitment of faith, and the whole community of believers. Read with me, if you will, at Acts chapter 20, one verse, verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's a short verse, isn't it? Let's read it again. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is the Apostle Paul writing in the book of Acts. Actually, it's Luke writing it, but about Paul, what Paul's saying. Paul had been a missionary. Paul had been a pastor, elder in the church of Ephesus now for three years. He had been working there, leading them, pastoring them. And now it's time for him to leave. You read this whole chapter and it is a, it is a beautiful scene of what it should look like when a pastor says it's time to leave, to move to somewhere else. And, and, and that's what's happening here. And he's talking to them. He loves them. There's tears in this chapter. There's hugs and kisses in this chapter. There is an explanation about how dear people are to one another in this chapter. But here at verse 27, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I want you to know, folks, that what real Christianity is, is not us saying that I try to live like Jesus is not us saying that I I follow Jesus. Real Christianity is a surrender to the Lord Jesus according to the whole counsel of God. The whole thing. The big book. The Old Testament. The New Testament. The 66 chapters. Paul says that he saw it as his duty, his responsibility, his calling from God. God had placed him there in Ephesus to lead those people and what his job was under the mighty hand of God that he would stand accountable to God for one day is that that church get the entire counsel of God. That means Paul didn't preach every sermon from the Gospel of Matthew. Paul didn't preach every sermon on what was going on on the news. Paul didn't preach every sermon about what felt good or what y'all were struggling with and what he thought you needed to hear. It means that Paul preached the whole Bible. And when you preach the whole Bible, it covers what's going on in the news and it covers what's going on with what you're doing and it covers everything that you feel like. It's a big book. If you set out today and said, I read a couple hours a day, and you started reading, it's still going to take you a long time to finish the Bible. It's double column if you haven't noticed. Some of y'all might have a single column, but most are double column. That means they're getting twice as much on the page as a normal book does. It's long. And Paul in his um, goodbye farewell speech full of love, so heartfelt, says... I made sure I taught you the whole counsel of God. That's a good pastor. He's put those Ephesians in a great position to be saved, to be believers, to be children of God resting in the love and mercy of God, to be resting in the forgiveness of sins. That man had led that church to be people who know God. See, nowadays we have so many people that 
claim to have some belief in God or some faith in God or some commitment to God, but they don't know God. Here's how God communicates. This is the whole counsel of God that we need to know. In the Proverbs, which is a book that is full of uh, little statements of wisdom, it's a book of wisdom, the Proverbs are, in chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, it says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. Every word of God is true. We need to make sure that we are those people who know that His Word is true, and so we have set our lives up as the Word being a shield to us. You can think of many, many passages in the Bible where the Word of God is what has been abandoned, and now their souls are in jeopardy. They're in trouble. Their problem is that they've drifted away from the Word of God. Yes, they may still be saying they love God. Yes, they may still be full of a life of good works. Yes, they may still be going to church. But they've drifted away from a commitment to the whole counsel of God, and so they've lost their way. Adam and Eve in the garden. The very, very first sin was because God said this, and they changed it into saying, well, God didn't really say that. Or if He did, He didn't really mean that. So I can do this. And so now we all hate God at the core of our heart because the Word of God was twisted a little bit. But God can cause us to not hate God at the core of our heart and run to Him and say, God, I know that You love me and I love You back because of it. God can save us and change us when we come to understand that the Word of God is our light, is our guide, is the answer to us. You think about the people that were the leaders of Judaism, the big, huge religion of God in the world, the Jews. They were the people of God, literally from the family lineage of the people that God had set up. God called Abraham. They were related to Abraham. And they did everything, supposedly, that God had told them to do, except they had missed the main part about running to God for mercy and needing a Savior. And they didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior. They had gotten away from the Word of God, ultimately pointing us to a Savior. Listen, if we have nine-tenths of the Bible right, if you are obedient to most of the Bible, but you miss the main point of you need a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you've not surrendered to the whole counsel of God. And I want to ask you here today if you would be honest with yourself and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really know much what the Bible says. You know, I'm not a big reader. I hear that all the time. I'm not a big reader, and if I do, I, I don't understand reading comprehension. And so we are dismissing that we don't know the Word of God. Well, I'm, I'm telling you today that you need to know the Word of God. If you're not a good reader, then learn to be a good listener. And listen a lot. I had somebody tell me, who has not been here, that they've listened to every sermon in the First Peter series. Y'all remember, that was a lot. Online, on the church website, through their phone, in the car, they've listened to every single First Peter sermon. If you're not a good reader, become a good listener. Get the whole counsel of God. Paul, in his goodbye, think about that. Have you ever had to say goodbye to somebody? I know that kids are about to go off to college, and we've got several that are going off to college for the first time. That final hug is a tough one. When you set up somebody's dorm room and now their bedroom at home is empty and, and it's a goodbye, that's hard. 
I cried my eyes out when I did that for my parents. I know my mom cried her eyes out. You ever thought about saying to your child, I've taught you everything you need to know about God. Stick with it. The whole counsel of God. Do we ever think that there's a whole lot that we need to know? Listen, life has a lot more questions, and you know that. Where did we come from? Why are we this way? Why has God made us to love sex as much as we do? We're obsessed with it in our culture. And then God told us very strict rules with how to handle it. Why do our hearts feel so much emotion when we start talking about how much we love my family? I'm almost undone when I think about how happy I am to be a dad. Y'all hear me talk about it all the time. I, I love being a dad. Why is that the case? Why do we do bad things? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do we even ask that very question? The Bible's the answer. The whole counsel of God. And if we're trying to navigate through life and figure these things out, apart from God explaining this to us, then God help us, because I don't know any other answers. None that work. Because if I turn this way, this person's got some answers that they're kind of thinking it work, but not really. And then I turn this way and go totally different nation. They've got some answers that are totally different from their answers that they're kind of thinking they work, but not really. Now we need answers. We don't need something that satisfies us for the rest of this day. And don't we all want to stop being people and families where this season of life seems to go okay, but as soon as we turn the corner, that, that, that what was working for us then isn't working for us now, and so now we're hurting? Everybody knows people like that. Well, when the kids were at home, the marriage was okay, but now that the kids are gone, our marriage is awful. Maybe it was the kids that was keeping us together. Wrong. Well, back when we were involved in church, things seemed to be good, but things have changed now. Wrong. We need the whole counsel of God. We need God's Word to be what teaches us what we're supposed to be like, how we're supposed to sort through life, what we're supposed to understand things. And in his farewell speech, just picture this. Imagine somebody at their Hall of Fame speech, or imagine a good, faithful teacher, principal, being able to give a resignation speech. Been y'all's teacher now for years. Imagine being able to say at your farewell speech that you've done your job well. And Paul, in his leaving, says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I want to challenge you today to be somebody who has a heart to know the whole counsel of God, the whole message of God, everything that God says. You ever seen somebody lose a family member, especially like a, a mom or a dad or a grandpa or a grandma? And you get to sit there with them. I, I get this a lot when I'm at the funeral home. And, and they just start talking. I say, man, he used to say that all the time. Dad used to tell me that all the time. Man, she used to say, that's one of the things she used to tell me. That's one of the things he used to tell me. Listen, we know what it's like to have somebody who knows what they're talking about and to hang on their words. Folks, God knows what he is talking about. His Bible was given to us to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, to be the way that we find the truth. To save our souls. May we be people who long for the whole counsel of God. Hunger for the whole counsel of God. We want to know God's Word. 
Ultimately, we want to know the whole counsel of God because, number two, it gives us the whole conversion of sinners. Now really, every question that we ask is being asked because we really want to know what's the meaning to all this. You may wonder about rainbows or sunsets or dinosaurs. You may wonder about tears and things like that, but really all those questions quickly get pushed aside to, well, why? Why is all this the case? The answer to that question is that God would be glorified. That God would be worshipped. That God would be prized and treasured. That our hearts would love God very, very simply. The whole counsel of God has been uh, explained in two short answers from Jesus. Love God and love people. But Jesus teaches us that we're unable to love God and love people well until we have surrendered to Him for salvation. God wants to be loved. God made us that we would love Him. God made us that we would look to Him. God made us and has created all this that we would look to Him and give Him glory. That's what this is all about. But we don't. Nobody does. Nobody naturally does that. And so the whole counsel of God points us to the whole conversion of sinners. That there is a good and perfect and holy God that made us. And yet in our humanity, in our sinfulness, in our desires, we had turned away from that. We have sinned against God. We have turned aside, turned to our own ways. And no one seeks after God. And we're confused about all this. And what we try to do or tend to do normally, most people all over the world, is try to establish for ourselves what we think is best for us to do. And if everybody in every place is coming up with a different answer of what's best for us to do, then that's surely not the answer. So this problem of us having gone against God is a big problem. We are sinners who have gone against God. And that's a problem. But God knew that problem was the problem and God had a solution to the problem which He sent His Son in love. And God tells us that He loves us and He demonstrates His love for us and that Christ died on the cross. And Christ died on the cross for our sins. It was our sins, my sins, your sins, big sins, little sins. It is things like people being murdered and it is small things like us telling a lie. It's things like me not keeping my integrity and it's you being dishonest. It's things like that. The sins that killed Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus died for our sins, but God raised Him up to newness of life with victory. The resurrection is real and it was to prove that God cannot be stopped and that God can be trusted. There's not a sin, there's not a devil, and there's not a death that can stop what Jesus can do in the life of somebody. But somebody has to believe that. I mean, they have to believe that with everything. They have to believe that with 100%. But when somebody does, God will convert the sinner to being saved. God will make us His child. I'm saying that apart from being somebody who believes the whole counsel of God and being a whole converted sinner, that you're not a child of God. God is fatherly to everybody that He's made, but He's only the Father to those who want Him to be their Father. Let me say that again. God is fatherly to everybody in the world. He treats everybody in the world good and takes care of them like a father would. But He is only the Father to those who have come to believe in Christ. He's only the Father to those who say, I want you to be my Father, God. I want to be in your family. 
We have to be saved. God has not come along to give us a push when we are struggling. God is not our pick-me-up. We don't go to church because I've been doing a little bit straying lately and I'm trying to get back right. hope He'll put me back on the right path. No, God is the right path and we need to stay with God. And when you finally realize that that's what you need, I need to be converted from my sins. I need to be forgiven. I need to know the grace of God that God's going to treat me not how I deserve to be treated, but God's going to treat me like He loves me and sent His Son to die for me. And when you believe that and ask God to forgive you of your sins and repent of your sins and turn away from your sins, God will save you. Change your life. And that's what the whole counsel of God is pointing us to. The whole Bible. If you look up a little bit, let me show you this. In verse 27, in the middle of his farewell speech, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Well, if you're not believing what I'm saying, you might be saying, well, well I wonder what his whole counsel it was. Well, look at verse 18. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Now look at verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, that means everybody, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good verse. That's a good verse that takes a whole lot of I'm confused and puts it together. That's a great verse because in verse 27 he says, I declared the whole counsel of God to you. And if anybody says, well, what do you mean by the whole counsel? He says, I mean that everything in the word of God is to bring you to a place where you are repentant before God and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose, the pinnacle, the climax of all 66 books is to find you saying, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I need somebody to save me, rescue me, turn me around. I need somebody to make me right. Give me a, a passion for what is right. Give me strength to do what's right. Make my heart pure. Make my heart clean. Remove my guilty conscience. Forgive me of my sins. I need that. And the whole Bible is the thing that will cause you to understand that. You show me somebody that's been reading the Bible, I'll show you somebody who's starting to come to Jesus. That's the truth. We've been doing the Bible reading plan this year. Many of us have given up. Many of us are still trying to stick it out. We give you the, the bookmark that has the daily reading for every month. Some of you all are still on pace. It is August the 9th. Let me do a quick little math. Uh, 7 times 30, that's 210 plus 9. We're 219 days into the year, roughly, give or take a few. 219 days into the year. Summer's over. School starts Wednesday. We're near Christmas, y'all. And some of you all have been reading the Bible since the beginning of January. And I guarantee you, that those of you who are would say without hesitation, I'm closer to God right now than I've ever been. And some of you all would say, I am stronger in my faith in Jesus right now than I've ever been. I love God right now more than I ever have in my whole life because Jesus is my Savior and because I know my sins are forgiven, 
And the key is that you are getting closer and closer, a better understanding to the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God brings us to the whole conversion of sinners. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, which Paul wrote to a different church, he says, For we are not, and we need to understand this is what sets, our, this is what sets churches apart from other churches. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are not at all wanting to use Christianity or the name of Jesus or the Word of God to try to promote ourselves. We don't know about politics going on here. We don't, we don't want that to be the case. We don't want anybody to be treated differently than anybody else. This is not a place to come and promote you or promote something else. This is a place where the Word of God is the whole counsel of God and we look to it, we see what it says about us and it leads us or should be leading us to love Jesus. That's what the Word of God does. When it is used rightly, The Word of God is not something that we can go to and not be changed by. You go to the Word of God, surrendered and believing, and it will convert your sinful soul. I remember being a good teenager. And I remember coming full face-to-face -face with, that ain't what life's about. I was... I was as good of a teenager as you'll find anywhere. I got a great mom. You've heard lots of stories about how good a mom she was. Life's not about being a good teenager. Life's not about being a good man. Y'all, Pharaoh doesn't need any more good men. I know plenty. I know plenty of good men in Fairdale. And I don't see people coming to faith in Christ because of it. Good men don't lead people to Jesus. Good men don't lead their, don't lead their kids to Jesus. Good men don't lead anybody to Jesus. People who carry the Word of God and say, I didn't shrink back from it. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. This is our only hope. The whole counsel of God will lead us to the whole conversion of sinners. Thirdly, only with a whole commitment of faith. And I kind of led into this one. We must be people who believe wholeheartedly that. The Bible will not allow us to take some of it. The Bible will not allow us to say, well, you know, I, I think this about Jesus. C.S. Lewis has the great statement that says, well, let's be honest about this. Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. What a great quote. He's either completely wrong, what an idiot liar he is, or he's out of his mind, he's a lunatic, he does not know what he's talking about, or he's right. And if he is right, he is Lord. And if somebody is Lord, we better bow down. If the Bible says that one day we are going to meet him face to face and he's going to judge us, there is only one right answer to that. Surrender. Wholehearted surrender. I've recently been reading a book. It's the book that we're reading in the parenting community group. It meets again tonight. If you're concerned about parenting like I am, then, then please come. And I've been reading a book, and it is, it is so helpful. And it has got me rethinking that the reason why parents are to lead their children and train their children is because they're going to face God one day. And I've done a bad job if my kids think, well, my dad lets me do whatever I want to do, so God must let me do whatever I want to do. 
My God never, or my dad never tells me what I don't want to hear. My dad never gets on me or straightens me out or anything like that. So God, I never have to deal with my problems with my family, so I must never have to deal with them with God. No, no, no. We need to believe who God is. We need to understand the whole counsel of God. And we need to come to God fully believing Him. The Bible says whoever comes to Him, He will by no means cast out. The Bible says He hears our cry and saves us. And all who call on Him, all who call on Him in truth, Psalm 145, all who call on Him, all who call on Him in truth, He saves. Calling on Him apart from the truth is hardly calling on Him. We call on Him according to the Word of God. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, God speaks early on, chapters 2 and 3, to seven churches. And the, the, the church Laodicea has become just good old folks. They've lost their passion for God. They've lost their intensity to hate their sins and love Jesus, understanding that's what real Christianity is. They've become lukewarm, what the Bible calls it. And Jesus, in one of the most stop-you-in-your-tracks passages in all of Scripture, says, you're neither hot for God or cold against God. You're lukewarm. You're not really on fire for God and you're not really cold against God. You're just, you're just bland. And then he says, because of that, quoting the words of God, I will spit you out of my mouth. God only takes us when we come to Him wholeheartedly. The whole commitment of faith. You know, we sing this type of stuff all the time. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I have no other hope. There's nothing else in the world, not one single day, not one attitude, not one good work that I've done, not one thing I've ever done that gives me any hope at all other than the blood of Jesus on the cross. And every other thing in my life is sinking sand. And the only thing that will hold me up through life and in the judgment in that day going to eternity is the salvation of Jesus. And if you don't believe that, with the whole commitment of faith, you are on the wrong side of God. The whole counsel of God points us to the whole conversion of sinners for those who will have a whole commitment of faith. Turn with me, if you will, to the very last page of the Bible. Revelation 22. I want you to see how this ends. You know, there's, a, there's about a thousand examples we could give of somebody having, supposedly having faith or Christianity, but not. All of you know people who say, yeah, I mean, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't read my Bible. I mean, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't go to church. I mean, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't want to be baptized. I mean, we could go on and on with, with thousands of those type of things. I mean, he believes in God, he's a really good man. 
The Bible tells us to hear the whole counsel of God, see it call us to be converted from our sins, and then to believe that with every single thing in us. That's what the Bible says salvation is. And the Bible gives warning after warning after warning after warning of people like me and you who will stand before God in judgment and God will say, no, I didn't tell you to be a decent guy. I didn't tell you to, to navigate life in your own way, what, what you think's right and being a part of a church. I didn't say that. I told you to pick up your cross daily, turn your back from the world and run after me. That's what God says. You get to the very, very end of the Bible. The very end. We'll start in verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Y'all, there's so many people out there trying to tell you more than what the whole counsel of God already says. We don't need it. There's a warning not to do that. Verse 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. In other words, you can't take half. You can't take some of the word of God and say, well, I'm not so sure about that one. I recently know somebody who was, who was in the wrong and somebody told me, they said, I, I don't really know what to tell you. No, we do know what to tell you. If you're in the wrong, God loves you. God forgives people who are wrong. Turn to Him and say, God, forgive me. That's what we tell people who are in the wrong. We put our arm around their shoulder. We love them. We say, turn back to God. That's what the whole counsel of God tells us to do. We cannot say, well, I, I don't know, because we do know. What a weak excuse. Then look at verse 20. The second to last verse of the entire Bible. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The Bible wants us to know that the whole counsel of God is what helps us understand the whole conversion of sinners to those who will believe it with the whole commitment of faith. And we are to know that the one who taught us that is coming soon, so we better be ready. We ought to love Him and wait for Him and be ready for Him. We ought not to play around with it or be lackadaisical with it or act like we've got more time or act like it's not that important or act like we're okay without it. No, we ought to run to the truth. And then lastly, turn back to Acts 20, the whole community of believers. The whole community of believers. We are to be a church that gets this. We are to be a church that gets this is what Christianity is and looks like. I had a lady, she's not here today, active part of our church was on vacation this summer, and on vacation she went to a church because some people like to go to church still when they're on vacation. She said, I went there, and it's supposedly a good church, but I went there, and the whole service went by, and nobody ever said, let's open the Bible. Good preacher, very engaging, charismatic. We liked him. He looked nice. He was funny, all that. But he never told us to open up the Bible. She said, I'm thankful that our church believes in the Bible. Folks, we are a church that believes that. And even if everybody starts to say that we're wrong or that's backwards or come on, it's 2015, 
This is what God has told us to do. Paul's apologetic to them in his farewell speech was, hey, I'm innocent of of your blood. That's what he's saying. I've done y'all well. I love you guys. Y'all love me. They did love him because we have taught each other the Word of God. And we are to be a church. And if somebody wants to be a part of our church, we want them to know we want to love you. We want you to love us as we become stronger and stronger in being people who cling to the truth of God. Paul writes to Timothy, his young protege, who's going to take his place. He says in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth. That happens to people. It's sad, it's unfortunate, but that happens. People go from being those who know the Bible or know that the Bible's true, and they just kind of drift away to say, well, you know, I don't really care. I'm not really sure. I don't need it. I don't really need to hear the Word of God. I don't need to learn the whole counsel of God. If you're not committed by faith to the whole counsel of God, then beware that the whole conversion of your sins has not happened. J.I. Packer, in a great quote, says, Our desire for Scripture is directly proportional with our desire for God. Our desire for Scripture is directly proportional with our desire for God. Because Scripture is the voice of God. Man, you ever had your wife say, I just want you to listen to me? God wants us to understand that He talks. And the way that we understand God is to know what He says. The husband that never listens to his wife has a wife who feels like her husband's not close. The person that never listens to the voice of God, the whole counsel of God, is not close to God can't be. The whole counsel of God points us to the whole conversion of sinners and through a whole commitment of faith and that is what our church is about. A whole community of believers. It's fascinating. Let's keep reading in Acts chapter 20 from verse 27. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God. And look what it says and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul had been working there three years. Now it's time for him to go. And what his farewell speech with tears and hugs and kisses is full of is I've taught you the Word. Now cling to it. Cling to it. My wife loves to take pictures and we can't do anything really without having to stop and take a couple pictures. 
On our hike yesterday with bugs and spider webs and sticks and people passing and sweat and everything, we had to stop and take a couple selfies. A couple family selfies we had to. JJ said, no, not, not more pictures. Mom said, okay, just one. It wasn't one. But I love looking at those pictures. I hate taking the pictures. I love it that we have the pictures. Looking at that picture there, and all seven of us on a hike up here in the forest, and I got on my solid navy blue Faraday hat because there's ticks are bad this year. You need to wear a hat. JJ, solid navy blue Faraday hat. Eli, solid navy blue Faraday hat. Eli, I mean, Noah, he hadn't played yet, so he wore somebody else's. Solid purple Faraday hat. I look at that picture, and I think, that's cool. I like that. I like my boys wanting to be like me or wear a hat like me. I like that. That's their first ever real ball hat. In the bill of all their hats, you know, you have to write their name so they don't lose it. But I've taken a big Sharpie and I've written, like a tree. Like a tree. And right now, I'm not sure if they're getting it. They'll tell, tell you what that means, but I don't know if they get it. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word of God. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. And there is one goal above every other goal. We practiced soccer yesterday for about two hours. We played, we went hiking yesterday. We, we do things, try to get good at all those things. But there's one goal that's above the rest. That we would be like trees. Knowing the whole counsel of God. That by His grace He may convert the whole sinner. And that we would be committed fully by faith to Him. He's worthy of it. He's the one true and living God that loves us. And for us to not listen to Him is wrong. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank You. Thank You, God, that You teach us from Acts chapter 20 about Paul's commitment to the whole council. God, help us to be committed to the Bible. And cause us men and women, moms and dads and children and everybody to make proper changes, adjustments in our lives that we would start to believe the Word. And that we would trust in Jesus. Father, You're such a good, gracious God. Father, move in our hearts that we would trust You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.